0: The word of the Lord and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out. This was he whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. All right, have a seat. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you. Happy Advent season. Hey, uh, so the other day I was in the office talking to one of our staff members, and (coughs) we were talking about a concept that we both have a tendency of struggling with, okay? So I'm sharing this um, out loud, and it simply kind of goes like this. Um, When we read stories in the Old Testament, like say you read the story of uh, Israel, post-slavery, wandering in the wilderness, following a cloud by day and a fire by night. Um, when I read stories like that, I think, man, it'd be so fun to go back there and have that, right? Has anyone ever thought that before as you've read stories in the Old Testament? You're like, man, wouldn't it be cool to be able to go back and to be able to see the cloud? You know that a God is here. You're, you're following him. I'd love to be able to see some sort of Physical representation or physical manifestation of God right in front of me. (coughs) Would that be cool? Like to be able to maybe, you know, say, so like for me, I'd wake up in the morning. You know, get up, go out to my car, maybe hop into my Toyota minivan, and then all of a sudden the cloud descends and then it's gonna guide me where I'm gonna go that day. That, to me, sounds kind of cool. Like, oh, I get to Pacific Street. Oh, going left on Pacific today because God has something planned for me over there, right? Like, I don't know if any of you have ever um, thought of that before, Uh, but I just imagine, um, like... Well, I, I think it could be cool. However, as I dwelled on it a little bit more, I'm like, wait, is this really the arrangement that I would want? So, um, you know, maybe the first, if this happened, you know, in real life, like the first couple days, I'd probably pop out of bed like a, you know, a kid on Christmas, like, where's the cloud? I want to follow the cloud. I got to see where God is taking me, right? Then maybe after a month or two, I'd be like, okay, God, here we go. You know, maybe the excitement had waned a little bit, but I'm like, okay, I'm ready to see God. But after, say, five or six years of this, like every day, like I'd probably wake up, maybe roll my eyes and be like, okay, here we go. I don't know where the cloud is taking me. I don't know what God is saying. I don't know what he's doing, but I'm just going to go ahead and keep following because that's how God works now. And I realized maybe this wouldn't be the arrangement that I want. And I want to tell you that part of the good news on Christmas is, well, I do think it would be amazing to have seen those things. I do think it would have been amazing to see the parting of the Red Sea, to see something miraculous like that, or literally fire come down from heaven and, and incinerate some sort of altar. But I want to tell us, or I want to tell you this morning, that we have an upgraded arrangement that is absolutely better than that. We have something better than an object to follow. We have something more intimate than just a cloud to look at. We have something far superior than any Old Testament leader ever experienced. And I want to ask you this morning, do you believe that? Do you believe that we have the better arrangement now? You know what this passage for today tells us? It says that God dwells with us. The good news of Christmas is that God is generous to dwell with us, and his dwelling isn't some random object. It's not a fire or a cloud, but it is a personal, loving, and intimate God that speaks to us, that encourages us, that comforts us. And I just want to say, if there's anyone in here who's feeling mm, maybe apathetic toward God, Maybe if there's anyone in here who's feeling kind of numb toward God, distant from him, maybe you find yourself disappointed with him. Maybe you're kind of over the whole thing right now. What I want to do this morning is invite you to come to this passage in John with fresh eyes to so be able to see what God is actually telling us about his indwelling presence. And I want to invite you to kind of exercise your faith muscles this morning and see the beauty of this good news that God has chosen to dwell with us. And I'm hopeful that as we look at this, it actually might kind of shake off some of the apathy for some of us. It's so easy to slide into that place, to spi- is, slide into that place of spiritual apathy And I think God's presence here in the room today wants to kind of shake that off of us. So feel free to turn to John chapter 1. If you have your Bible in front of you, we're going to have it up on the screen as well. We're going to look (coughs) at one of the most remarkable verses in the Bible. John 1.14 is where we're going to start. And it's going to give us in detail um, what it looks like that God dwells with us or that he dwelt with us. So... If you're there, John 1.14, you can follow along on the screen. It says this, and the word, that's referring to Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Now, in the preceding verses of John chapter one, John has gone to lengths as he describes the word, which is his reference to Jesus. And he's calling him, or he's saying that, that, that the word is before all things, that Jesus created all things, that, that everything was made through him. He's also, he also calls him the light, which means that all truth is found in him. He is the source of all truth. And not only that, but anything dark, sin, Satan, death, any sort of victory over darkness is from this word, is from Jesus himself. In other words, John is trying to get us to the point where we think of Jesus as the most magnificent being that we could ever imagine. That's what John is trying to get our, that's where he's trying to get our minds to. As in, like, he holds everything together inside of your body, all of the the atoms and the particles and the processes that are going on right now, Jesus is holding that together. You look up in the stars and sky at night, Jesus is holding galaxies intact. Jesus is the one who even allows us to breathe. Jesus could not be any bigger. He could not be more powerful. He could not be any grander. He could not be any more perfect. This is the picture that John is describing. In Jesus, this glorious, all-powerful creator stepped down from heaven for 33 years, and as it says in verse 14, he became flesh. He put on flesh. I believe it was John Calvin that said, he that made man was made man. That's a pretty big deal. That condescending is quite a jump. the other day I was uh, chatting with my uh, two older brothers in our running text thread that we always have uh, shortly after staying at a hotel that wasn't really that nice. And I remember kind of ranting on this text thread to these guys. I said, guys, I'm getting too old for this. Like I can't stay in junky hotel rooms anymore. Like the musty smell. No, I'm not going to do it. Like I'm old enough. I'm past 40, I'm going to pay the little extra money and stay there. I don't, if I'm going to be in a hotel room, it needs to smell clean. And there can't be a bunch of stains on the carpet. And the bathroom doesn't have to be like five star, but you know, maybe some decent finishes or a shower that doesn't make you grossed out to get into. Like I have new standards and I'm not going to dip below this anymore. Us Americans, we like to be comfortable, right? Some of us don't like going across town to a part of town that's not quite as nice as our neighborhood. We don't like maybe going to the holidays to somebody else's house in our family where their house is a little bit messy. You know, that little step kind of bothers us. Well, I want to tell you what Jesus lowered himself to in this passage was a little bit more than staying overnight in a musty hotel room, right? Right? It says that from his heavenly glory, he put on flesh. Think about that. He was in his glorified heavenly, I don't even know what it's like, but he comes down to earth and he puts on fingernails, right? He puts on a stomach that growls when he's hungry, he puts on hair that if he doesn't wash it for a while, it eventually looks pretty unkempt and greasy, right? He puts on skin uh, in order that he would sweat in the Middle Eastern heat as the sun is beating down on him. And do you know why he did this? It says that he did this so he could dwell among us. That word dwell literally means to pitch a tent. John is saying that John, or Jesus came down so he could pitch his tent, so he could live among us. But there's actually a double meaning to that word, pitch his tent, because the root word is the same word used for the Old Testament concept of tabernacle. Okay? So Jesus put on flesh and he tabernacled among us. Remember, in ancient Israel, in in Exodus, when God rescued his people out of Egyptian slavery and they were wandering in the wilderness and had the cloud by day to lead them and the fire by night to lead them, what did he command them to build? He commanded them to build a, a tabernacle. And that tabernacle is where the presence of God would stay. The tabernacle and later the temple was the very thing that set the people of Israel apart from any other nation because God's presence was actually with them. And Jesus is saying now, there's a new, or John is saying now, there's a new tabernacle. It's not some constructed wooden frame with fabric tents. It is a person. The presence of God has come to live in God's very son. And he's walking and talking on the earth and he's here. The presence of God is here. Actually, God is here. That's who Jesus is. And John is not done with the lofty language. Still in verse 14, he says, we have seen his glory. Looking at Jesus, he says, we have seen his glory. Do you know that no one in the Old Testament saw the glory of God? No one in the Old Testament saw the glory of God for for fear that they might literally die in the presence of God or be incinerated. And and what John is recalling here, once again, looking back to Exodus, he's he's recalling in the reader's minds when Moses asked to see the glory of God and God said, no, 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 I can't can't exactly do that, but I'll pass by you and I'll let you see me from, uh, just get a glimpse as I go by. Just so Moses wouldn't be Melted, incinerated by the, this wonder of the glory of God. God's glory is so magnificent and so awesome that it kills people. Well, do you know what this means? That means that these people in the New Testament, that means that John and the disciples and all the people that Jesus interacted with, they were able to actually see this glory that no one could lay their eyes on. They got to see the glory of God. And you know where it was? It was in the person of Jesus all of that glory, the, the thing that, that caused the, the thunder and the lightning and the smoke on Mount Sinai, all of that stuff, all of the wonder of the glory of God is packaged in Jesus. That's who Jesus is because he is God. It's in Jesus, the Jesus that you and I pray to, the Jesus that has called our name and saved us, the Jesus who, who we meet with, who we listen to his voice as he speaks to us. Glory, the glory of God is captured in him. We, too, have been witnesses to the glory of God, if you know Jesus. As we're kind of teasing this out, does it maybe feel like we don't appreciate the reality of Jesus coming at Christmas quite as much as we should? Do you maybe think the weight of God's glory being captured in a human being is a little bit lost on us? It feels like um, we've gotten good at training ourselves here in American Christianity to see Jesus as our little helper, right? It's like, oh, we're going to have a meal. We should pray before a meal because that's, you know what, he'd probably appreciate that. That's kind of what we're supposed to do, right? I I got to lead a Bible study tonight. Oh, we should pray to open the Bible study because he'll bless our time, I'm sure, if we do that feel a little stressed, you know, tomorrow morning as you're driving to work, I'll shoot up a quick prayer to Jesus. Hopefully he helps me and takes the, the you know, the little stress away, the anxiety that comes. Those aren't bad things. But I think John is in inviting us to see Jesus as something so much bigger and so much better than that. Maybe we should pause and dwell on this awe-inspiring glory. John, Is inviting us to be awestruck by Jesus, to have our minds blown by just thinking about him. This thing that was untouchable in the Old Testament, unseeable, is now right in front of us in the person of Jesus. That's the Jesus that we call Savior. It's amazing, isn't it? John, the author, goes on and starts to testify to the wonder of this new thing, this new arrangement that exists. Before they had a tabernacle, now they have the glory-filled Son of God. Listen to verse 16, what it says here. It says, For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. You read that? It says, we have all received. It's right up here. We have received grace upon grace. What is John talking about? Grace upon grace. Does it mean that, that we've just, received grace and then it comes again and then we wake up tomorrow and then he gives us more grace to get through the day and then the next day he gives us more grace to get to the day. Well, the good news is that's absolutely true. That's how God works with us. Just grace, 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 grace. But I don't actually think that that's what this is talking about. As I studied this, the, the vast majority of scholars would connect this phrase, grace upon grace, with the very next verse, because that's how it reads grammatically. I'm going to put verse 16 and 17 up there, verses 16 and 17, so you can see them. So it says, we have all received grace upon grace. And now he's going to give an explanation of these graces. For the law was given through Moses, and grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Most scholars agree that the two graces are referring to the grace of Moses giving the law and then the grace of Jesus coming. In the flesh, D.A. Carson, who is much smarter than me, so much so that I can sometimes hardly read what he writes and understand it, he said that upon, the grace upon grace, that preposition is maybe not the right word to put in there. He said, it's maybe a better thing to say grace instead of grace. In other words, now we received the grace of Jesus instead of the grace of the law. Now, you might ask, well, wait, I thought... The law was not grace. What, what are you talking about? Like, how is the law considered grace? Well, think about, think about it this way. It absolutely was an act of grace. A relatively unknown God to this people makes a, a, a covenant with them. That's an act of grace. Uh, this relatively unknown God agrees to give them written instruction for how they can know him and worship him. That's grace to them, right? It, it was he gives them words and instruction in wisdom on how to live life with God. That's grace again. However, it was incomplete. John is saying that was grace for our people at a time, but now we've received a, new, a newer and much better grace. We have been given quite an upgrade. So during uh, missions week, a handful of weeks ago, I was, walking, or I was talking to one of our global missions team excuse me, um, about the process of how we communicate with missionaries overseas. And as we're talking about communicating, I kind of pulled the old man thing and I'm like, do you know what it was like to communicate overseas like almost 30 years ago? So my family, we were in Bolivia for a year in 1995. We were there for 12 months, and in the most underdeveloped country in South America at the time. And when we left, speaking of communicating with us, I didn't even know, I'd never heard of the internet before, okay? I'd never heard of email either. And so when we left, we wanted to stay connected to friends and one specific family who was our family best friends. We did vacations with them, we did camping trips with them, we ate out together with them two times a week. We were always together. The parents of that family were like my second parents. It was like, and so leaving for a year was kind of hard, especially when you're 7,000 miles away. And so the way that we had to communicate with them is we, every couple of weeks, because it was really expensive to call, we'd get on our landline and you had to dial like this 17-digit code to make it out of the compound, make it out of the country to be able to actually talk to them. Well, and so once every couple of weeks, we would get on the phone and talk to them for like 30 minutes so our, you know, we wouldn't go bankrupt from that. And then while we were there, they got this newfangled thing called email, okay, and, but the email that they had that we received on these old, that look like those faded yellow Macintosh computers, those old ones, this email program that they had, you literally to receive it, you had to pay by line for the email coming in. And so I was like, well, better not write too long of an email. I don't want to get too sappy in this thing. So let's keep it short and succinct. And so every couple of weeks we would get a phone call. Every maybe four to six weeks we would get a short little email and I think, man, Think of the upgrade that missionaries communication have now, right? It's like anytime you want, you pick up your phone, you can instant message in just a second. A lot of countries, you could just use your iPhone and and text back and forth. You can video call day or night. Like, hey, just pull it up. Let's do this thing, right? Or a lot of countries have access to the social media platforms, the same ones that you use. So Instagram, you can be up to date. 7,000 miles away, 10,000 miles away. It doesn't matter. You could be up to date, see what somebody ate for lunch, and you can be halfway around the world. It is a major, massive upgrade. And that is what John is saying of this new grace that the people of God have received after the law given to Moses was a grace. But it said, it's night and day. This new kind of grace that's come to the grace and truth of Jesus is unbelievable. Whereas the Jews in the Old Testament had to offer animal after animal as sacrifices. Jesus was the once and for all sacrifice for sin, right? Instead of the people of ancient Israel considerably mustering up strength and obedience to behave and to try to live up to God's standards, Jesus himself came and he lived up to God's standard for us in our place. Instead of, them having a a mediator, a priest to go between, to be able to have any sort of access to God. They had to work through somebody. And now Jesus is the great high priest. And we have... Access to God directly, unhindered, anytime. We can talk to him whenever we want. Instead of having a specific place to worship, like a tabernacle or a temple, and to be able to have to do it at a, a specific time and in a specific way, now Jesus has blown that open. Now he is our object of worship, and we can, he can hear us anytime. And now anyone, anywhere, can worship in spirit and in truth rather than having a high priest or a priest, excuse me, go near to the presence of God. Now John is saying, Jesus, the presence of God has come to us. He hasn't stayed far off. Don't have to work through a mediator. The presence of God is here, walking, talking, healing, speaking. And now he sent his presence inside of us. It's a grace instead of a grace, and it is a massive upgrade. And one of the reasons that this new, new grace of Jesus was such grace, such unmerited favor is because of what Andrew talked about last week. The Israelites, they were a disaster. They had the law right in front of them didn't obey. They worshiped other gods. They went off on their own, morals, ethics, completely left the way of God, rebelled against God, and turned their hearts from God so much so that the presence of God actually left the temple. He left. God was not with them. They were abandoned, a small group of oppressed people with no hope. And even though they were the ones who turned their heart from God, Jesus put on flesh in order to come and dwell among them, to rescue them back, to be able to live life with them. That's why John calls it grace, because that's absolutely what it is. It's unmerited favor straight from the throne of God. (coughs) Providence, what we celebrate at Christmas is not just good news for Israel. It's not just good news for Israelites' story. It's good news for our story as well. Because sadly, we've done the same thing that Israel did. We've placed ourselves at the center of our lives. We've bowed our knee to things that aren't God. We've rebelled against him we're bent on being selfish. Even the, 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 the kind things, the noble things, the philanthropic things we do, those things are still many times marred by, by sinful motivations beneath them. And we were far from God. And this passage says, even though we've repelled, even though we were far from God, Jesus, the glory of God in an act of grace has come near to us. And for all who believe in him, he's forgiven us, he's cleansed us, he's agreed to live with us, in us, giving us access to God, and we can worship him right here, right now. Now I know, (coughs) excuse me, I know um, some of you as you're hearing this, Jesus coming to earth and the beauty of that, there might be an objection that you raise to this whole thing of how amazing it is to have Jesus here. Because an objection came into my mind as I was studying this and reading John, and it might go something like this. Well, John, this is easy for you to be excited about. You were one of Jesus' friends. You lived with him. You you walked and talked with him. You ate with him. You joked with him. You heard with your own ears his teaching. We We don't have that now. Jesus is not literally sitting in the room physically, right? It would have been amazing to be there, to to be able to be a part of that, just like John was. But I want to tell you that even though Jesus physically, his body, he's not walking in here, the dwelling presence of God has not left you, Christian. Listen to these words. Jesus from the same book of John, John chapter 16, Jesus is telling his disciples that he's about to leave to go to the father and he's giving them comforting words about when he leaves and goes back to his father. And in John 16, 7 and 8, it says this, nevertheless, (coughs) excuse me, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. Think about that you believe that? Could that be real? Could that be right? Jesus saying, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Two chapters earlier, he speaks to the same Holy Spirit in, in, in John 14:16, the presence of God, or excuse me, 1426, and he says this, "But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you." Christian in the room: When is the last time that you have felt yourself? In awe of the presence of God inside of you. When's the last time you've thought about it? Like, this is kind of incredible. The God, the one who, who created everything, who put everything together, he lives inside of us. That's not just a little bit of good news, it almost is kind of trippy, right? God is inside of you as you're sitting there, if you're in Christ. That's wild. Like, he is the one that that stirs our heart to worship. If you found yourself being caught up in the songs that we were singing before, that's God's presence inside of you. He's the one that enlightens our, our mind to Scripture. He's the one who makes God's presence real to us. If you've been listening to any or reading along with any of these verses, and your heart's like, wow, that's amazing. That's the presence of God inside of you. He's the one that helps us feel a sense of nearness or intimacy with God. He is the one through his power in you gives you victory over sin. All of this is the indwelling presence of God. <clears throat> it's a striking, beautiful blessing that we have as Christians. Over the last couple of years, I, because it just seems so amazing, I've kind of been on a quest over the last couple of years to try to just hear God's voice better, to try to become more aware of God's presence in me and try to figure out what he's doing inside of me. And I would say, luckily, by the grace of God, I feel like I'm, I'm hearing God's voice maybe more frequently or, or maybe more accurately than I have in any other time in my life. It's like, it's amazing. Like, I love that. There's no better gift from God. So um, a few weeks ago, uh, let me tell you a couple stories. A few weeks ago, I had, uh, it, it was amazing. I got a Chipotle gift card for $50. Okay. Can I get the amen to that? Yes. Okay. So I got this Chipotle gift card. It was an incredible gift. And we uh, happened to be on a tight budget for that month. And I was walking, I was in our office, it was lunchtime. And I was walking out of our office and I got this Nudge, or maybe it was more than a nudge. It was like this, like, you need to offer to buy people lunch. And I'm like, mm, no, I'm not going to do that today. And I'm like, it's probably not God saying that. I mean, come on, we're just talking about a gift card and a little burrito bowl. Like, he doesn't care about that stuff. I'm just going to keep going. And then I legitimately, the thought crossed my mind. I'm like, well, what's the worst that could happen if I don't listen this time, but I just listen to him next time, right? That didn't get as many laughs from you guys. You're worried, you're like, wait, why is this guy preaching a sermon to us? Um, And so, and I didn't say anything. And I'm like, oh, wait, I forgot something in my office. So I went back to my office and I'm leaving and it just like hits me like a ton of bricks on my shoulders. I'm like, "Uh, you need to like say something. And I'm like, Oh no no no! And so finally, I'm walking out, and I'm like, "Hey, does anybody want lunch? I'm, I'm going to Chipotle right now," and kind of say it, m- mumble it, and quickly. Luckily, there's only two people in the office, okay. And the first person looked over and says, "Oh no, thanks, Jared. I brought my own lunch." I'm like, "Yes, Jesus, thank you." The second person said, "That'd be great. I'd love that. Thanks so much. Let me give you my order." And I'm like, oh, "Okay." And so. I walk, uh, Chipotle is like two blocks away from her office, so I walk a couple blocks, <coughs> almost get hit by a car on 72nd Street. The Lord protected me. Um, I bring it back, get to the office, and deliver the, the burrito bowl, and the staff member looks at me, and they say, they said, you wouldn't believe this, but this morning when I woke up, I didn't pack a lunch, I didn't have a lunch, and I prayed that God would somehow provide a free lunch for me in a crazy way. And I'm like, what? You gotta be kidding me. And I'm like, okay, what's at stake? Well, it's a chipotle lunch, right? But it was just like this thing that it came alive to me. I'm like, God's spirit is like living and working and he works through believers with other believers in these crazy ways to provide and to speak and to teach us to listen to him. Maybe in a little bit more... (coughs) weighty way uh, this summer. Uh, at the end of the summer, I um, was signed up to go to this men's retreat, to this father's retreat in Texas for a few days. And I had specifically got felt a conviction that I needed to go to this because there's a specific area of, of kind of just insecurity and feeling ill-equipped as a dad that, that I hadn't been able to shake and had been with me for years. And I'm like, I just need to go because of this. Well, some complications came up at the last minute. And I'm like, you know what? I think I'm just going to skip out of this. I'm not going to go. It's going to be easier. I won't have to take off any days of work. I'll just just go with it. And this conviction came back. And it was like, no, no, no. You need to go to this thing because I have this specific thing that I want to address with you. And I'm like, and finally I decided to go. Nervous to go. Who knows what's going to happen in a four-day retreat with a bunch of people you don't know? So I show up there, and wouldn't you know, the second day, the guy who was leading the retreat, John, spoke directly to that. It was like God was speaking directly to me, but it wasn't just information. It was the presence of God confirming and affirming something to squash that insecurity that I had been living under for literally decades. And I'm like, what an amazing thing that God does. And then, Over the course of the next 24 hours, several guys came up and just asked questions and ended up like just uh, encouraging and affirming what God was doing. I'm like, man, the grace of God again. And then the very last night before we left, like any good retreat, you have people around a campfire, right? So we're hanging out around a campfire and the guy, John, who was leading the retreat stood up and he said, hey, I just have this conviction um, that I wanna pray over any men here who have this specific insecurity or this specific thing that they've been battling with this week and God has worked on them. And so I'm like, that's exactly what I came here for. And so I stood up and he said, I've pre-written a prayer that I want to pray over you and send you off with. And I'm like, it's just like the cherry on top, like the presence of God in us is at work. He's moving. He's encouraging. He just does incredible stuff. His glory is on display for us to see. To see. And I tell these stories because I want to inject you with confidence. If you're a Christian, if Jesus has saved you, then Jesus, through his spirit, is dwelling in you right here, right now, this week. And because of the good news of Christmas, our lives have changed. You have his presence, and his presence is the very life source you need to make it through this week. It's the very life source you need for life and wisdom and guidance. It's the very guidance you need to be able to walk in truth. His presence in you is the very power you need to have victory over those sins that are weighing you down, to break free from those lies and those addictions that you feel like you're carrying around. It's the very motivation and passion and strength you need to be able to align with God's mission. It's a source of comfort you need for the things that you're those things that you're scared of right now. When you feel lonely or overwhelmed, it is the very comfort we need. It is not a concept. It's not a religion. It is God himself dwelling in a people. If you're in Christ, he's dwelling in you right now. So as we think back on Advent with great gratitude. We think, wow, how amazing that Jesus put on flesh and decided to dwell among us, right? In a true Advent way, we're also people kind of living in the in-between, right? We look out forward to the second coming of Jesus, knowing that if we're in Christ, we'll one day be able to actually stand there in a glorified sense, and we'll be able to actually see him Won't that be amazing to see Jesus face to face? It's an incredible thing. And we wait and we long for that. But until then, could we be a people that treasure the the gracious, generous gift of God dwelling inside of his people? Amen? Hey, so to end today... Um, just like we did last week. Instead of me praying over you, we wanted to pray a prayer together, with our voices together. And so we've written a prayer of gratitude that is specifically on the theme that we've been talking about today, that God has been generous to dwell with us. And so, uh, before we take communion, I want to invite you to stand to your feet, and we're going to put these words on the screen, and I want to invite you, if you are a follower of Jesus, I want to invite you to read this prayer, not as some rote religious practice, but a true uh, cry, true prayer of gratitude um, to God himself, the one who has been so generous to dwell with you. So, um, if you would, let's read this together. It says, Lord, Thank you for bringing your presence to us through the unlikely method of a baby. Through your Son, you ensured that we can live in your presence forever through salvation in him. In your presence, you give freedom, you break chains, and you redeem a people in Christ alone. We are eternally grateful that we can be fully in your presence as you keep us in the full, in Jesus' name, Amen. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise.